This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Mean Girls and Internet Trolls Positive Body Representation in Speculative Fiction, Part 2. Yes, you heard it from here. (laughs) We got so (laughs) excited. (laughs) We had to split this episode into two parts. Um, And hopefully in today's episode, we are actually going to get to the speculative fiction part. (laughs) Yes, we kind of glanced past it. Um, Basically, we're not going to recap everything we've already said, because otherwise it would become a three-part episode and the whole thing would just never end. Yes, that would just be dissecting (laughs) dragons now forever. (laughs) If if you want our take on everything so far, please go back, check out part one and pick up from, from here. We had got as far as looking at at basically traditional beauty standards Mm. and i think it's worth us going in again at at this end Mm. um so basically if we're looking at at beauty standards most of us will encounter two broadly different types um there's the one imposed by the media endorsed by things like advertising Mm -hmm. uh, the perceived norm which you know is gradually broadening or being forced to broaden Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also the subjective standard. And the subjective standard is what you personally find attractive, what other people personally in their own lives find attractive. And strangely enough, the one that's actually important is the subjective standard. Yes. (laughs) But the one we're told is important is the perceived norm. And we just want to discuss those two things a little bit more in a bit more detail. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those weird things because... In some respects, the 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 perceived norm norm and the sort of the beauty standards which are shown on cinema are almost artistic, if that makes sense. We don't really consider them necessarily to be real constantly, even if they no. are meant to be put forward as 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 the norm. Um, whereas subjective uh, is well. It, it's down to each individual person um, and there will be any number of things which will affect your subjective taste. Um, Of course, it would be foolish to say that constant advertising and, you know, this, this sort of presence of what is of of beauty standards is not going to have an effect on you. It will do, but it's not the only thing that it has an effect on you. Um, and no. we know this simply because people find different things attractive. Um, and Definitely. that's that. <laughs> I think it's also worth... Um, I think this is something that most people kind of know intuitively, but I'd like to like make it a very obvious point, mm. And that is that when you have films and things, often the actors don't really look like they do in the film. As in, they're, they're perceived as being a broad canvas on which to create a character. Yeah. In the same way that the models and things used in advertising, the actors used in advertising, are also perceived as broad canvases. Mm. Um, catwalk models, the reason that they kind of get the job they do is to sell the clothes, to sell that designer. Yeah. Um, so yes, you don't want someone who's going to distract from the clothing, which is, you know, the clothing is actually the main point, not the models themselves. Yeah. Um, but let's bear in mind that certainly with, with actors for, let's take your average action star type or 
superhero type actor. They're very big now. They were never that big in the 90s. No. They were even less not that big. <laughs> less not that big. They were even less big in the 80s. Mm. In fact, some of them had a bit of a gut in the 80s as well. They were just kind of like, oh, you're a broad-shouldered man. You'll do. Yeah, but um, it was actually... Um, this is quite an interesting thing that we, I was learning about earlier on, um, which is that the whole bodybuilding thing, the whole rippling muscle thing... Um, wasn't actually really seen as attractive for uh, in in a large part, and was also kind of sort of side eyed a little bit because it was seen as being well anyone who's spending any guy who's spending that much time focusing on their appearance. There's something yeah. a bit suspect there. It's like oh, it's a bit of a peacock kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like. It, it, it wasn't until you got people like Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. appearing in films in the eighties and nineties that that the trend began to shift. Yeah. And obviously people thought, oh, we can make money by selling multi-gym passes and, and supplements and, mm. and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, even now, if you take um, Henry Cavill, who, let's admit, is very, very nice to look at, mm -hmm. and his part in The Witcher, he's obviously really built himself up for that. Mm -hmm. Without personal trainers, very, very careful nutrition and dietary advice, um, without the makeup, without the wardrobe department... Even Henry Cavill, as lovely as he is to look at, does not look like The Witcher, okay? No. He doesn't even look like Henry Cavill before he's got his makeup on, <laughs> no. kind of thing. Um, it's, and it, then I think another good one is, uh, is, is Hugh Jackman in, yeah. it, as, you know, Wolverine. Um, in order to kind of get that body, he, he, what, when he's filming, he's, he lives on, he subsides on, what is it, like steamed broccoli, and kale yeah. um and they have to dehydrate themselves for certain shots when you see the abs because you only see that muscle definition <laughs> um yeah. when, when you're quite dehydrated and starved <laughs> and it's absolutely the same for women when you have women putting on a specific amount of muscle for a part if they're playing action heroines and you know it's very carefully done so that they don't bulk up too much because that is the perceived beauty standard mm -hmm. So, for example, when we're going back to the original Tomb Raider film where Angelina Jolie um, clearly put on quite a lot of muscle for her body type mm -hmm. um, for that film. But again, this isn't something that she particularly looks like. There was, there was makeup. Um, there was lots of effort. There, there was an entire team of, of basically artists behind this to make her look like a specific character. Yeah, absolutely. Now, again, we're not saying that, okay, so you remove all these people are not attractive. Obviously, they are attractive. No. Um, but it's tailored. It's exactly tailored. It's particularly tailored on advertising or things like that, where it's, there's no moving image, where you can really just go to town. Um, but even when in instances when people are live, this is a tailored look. There is a lot of makeup involved. There's angles, there's cameras, there's all these particular things. And choices will be made, obviously, to allow people to focus on different things entirely. And it, it all depends on what the person is there to do. So as Jules was saying, models, they're there to wear the clothes. They are mannequins, essentially, moving mannequins. They've got to yeah. be beautiful but they've also got to not really distract from the actual clothes themselves. Yeah, whereas you do find with certainly the the really high-hitting actors, they might be beautiful, they might be sort of beautiful in an unusual way, but they've also really got something, they've got the it factor as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so it's not enough to just be a clothes horse if you're an actor. Yeah. Generally. Sometimes there's there's a sense of charisma. And I think in particular when it comes to beauty standards and in, in the sort of the perceived beauty standards, um men have a little can have a little bit more diversity. And I'm f- focusing in on American TV here rather than British because I think there's actually a little bit more diversity yeah. in terms of the way that, that sort of British people are cast whereas in america there's this very much right we we want these actors to look a certain way that there's you know these memeable jokes which is just (laughs) these are all different people even though they look the same kind of thing um whereas every now and again (laughs) you can get actors particularly older actors who can look a little bit different or who can live out who can exist outside of that standard um but they have something else they have a natural kind of charisma or well also extreme talent as well will obviously play into that as well um which can draw people in um and you get that particularly with the sort of some of the older, and when I say older, I mean past sort of thirty um, into forties and fifties actors. So Robert Downey Jr., for instance, is actually quite a small man. He's quite stocky, um, muscular, yeah. handsome, yes, um, but not traditionally handsome, really, in exactly the same way as say. Uh, Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth and I'm not gonna lie I like Chris Evans in as sort of um, you know Captain America but I saw him in some of his earlier movies where he's just wearing like sweaters and stuff like that and he's less made up to be a big American hero um, and he's more sort of guy next door and yeah. I, I thought he was more attractive as guy next door he just looks sweet and fluffy <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he's not really on my radar at all. But I mean, that—that's the thing, isn't it? And this is this is where we go into subjective yeah. beauty standards, whereby it's a case of, yeah, you're absolutely perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You just don't do it for me personally. Yeah, absolutely. And this is also the other really big thing is that you can acknowledge that someone is beautiful without being attracted to them. Um, and that this is something that you know I get where, particularly for, for my demi ass um i would always be like yeah they're they're that they're a beautiful person i am not attracted to them <laughs> in the least i think they're a beautiful person yeah, i like, like the way they look like, but i'm not i'm not attracted to them it's like alan and i were having a very amicable argument and alan was saying yeah but don't you find ryan gosling attractive he's supposed to be literally the most attractive man and i'm like he does nothing for me yeah it's like yeah i think he's quite a good actor i'm interested in watching a couple of his films but i'm like that there is nothing and alan could not believe that i was actually saying this <laughs> genuinely i don't find him attractive there's nothing there alan calls alan calls him up For God's sake, put on the cable knit jumper. Put <laughs> um, <laughs> your gansy out. But even then, even then, there's nothing. It's like Jason Momoa. I mean, loads of people are like really all about him. And, you know, aesthetically, yeah, I can see everything's in proportion. But I'm like, no, not not doing it for me. And what I was trying to get across to him was the fact that there was no personal sense of connection for me. And therefore... It didn't matter how attractive they were or how much along the golden mean they were. I was never going to be attracted to them because there was no personal sense of connection. Yeah. And I think that this is... Because there's several levels of sort of 
of beauty and attraction you know there's the there's the beauty of i think that's beautiful and that can be about a person it could also be about a sunset or a flower or something like that where you're like that looks beautiful and i see lots of people in fact i i find it very very difficult in life to ever spot ugly people i i really, <laughs> i've never really met an ugly yeah. person before it's like do you do <laughs> do you do the thing where you kind of you notice somebody's best attributes first anyway yeah it's, and then if they're a fairly decent person, then they that that's it. That's kind of the picture because yeah. that's where I come. It's in. just if I look at a person, I'll just be like, yeah. To be honest, I've never seen. Uh, it's not that I think everybody's beautiful, but I've never seen someone and thought, God, what an ugly person based on the way that they look, but based on the way they act, yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, <laughs> and this is not me going, oh, aren't I? Aren't I good? No, it's not that at all. It's just I'm. I'm, I'm yeah, I I just don't really see. I I don't really remember seeing anyone who who was truly ugly, um, just because. Yeah, um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean I'm attracted to everybody. I can also turn around and say, "Wow, what a beautiful person!" I'm not attracted to them. Um, I can turn around and also also say um, that I'm attracted to someone because of the way that they are. And there are going to be certain qualities of things which I will find attractive. Um, so certain yeah. things which I see and I go, okay, I instantly, that draws my attention. I like that. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be attracted to the person, but I'm attracted to certain qualities. So for example, uh, Jules is attracted to cable knit sweaters. She sees a cable knit sweater, she's attracted. She's not necessarily <laughs> going to love the person who's wearing the cable knit sweater, but it's got her attention. Um, uh, I'd just like to rephrase <laughs> that because it makes me sound like I've got a wool fetish and I really haven't. <laughs> Um, basically, the cable knit sweater, not many people know this, but the cable knit sweater is like the plus 10 armour of attractiveness. So if you put one on, though, if you're a bloke, that is, it doesn't seem to work for women, but for men, if you put one on, then you will become like 10 points more attractive than you were before you had the jumper on. I don't know why, this is just how my brain works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I talk about Chris Evans. I think Chris Evans is beautiful. I'm not attracted to Chris Evans, I should say. I think he's a beautiful person. I think, and I tended to think he looked more beautiful um, when he's kind of in those soft roles. Uh, but I think he's, I think he's an excellent actor as well, and seems to be a genuinely nice person. So that's all. That's all. Kudos to him. He seems to be like a. He's an attractive person, but I'm not attracted to him. Um, Whereas I, there, there are very particular things which I will see, which are, and I've recognised them, they're very particular things. I like long hair in guys. I like, um, I like deep set features. I, I like anything that looks sort of vaguely like someone, <laughs> someone was, you know, a Viking in a past life. <laughs> I'm like, bold features, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely, physical attributes that you know attract you yeah but but again that um, doesn't mean that it, i'm oh, i'm attracted to the person who has them i just like certain attributes no and same here um i think it's it's almost difficult for us to breach this part of the topic because we're both um very demi in our, very. In our, in our attractive level yeah. um it's it's difficult for us to sort of hit the the more allosexual end of the spectrum where someone can look at someone, know nothing about them and just think, yeah, that's it, you know, 
I'd like to hit that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> that was a very crass way of putting it, but, you know, genuinely having that instant sexual attraction kind of thing, because that just doesn't exist for me unless I know somebody. Yeah, no. A little bit. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm the same, so... Uh, but I, <laughs> I still, I still don't really completely understand how it works. But I do know that it exists. Um, yeah. So yeah, th- there's going to be different levels of attraction, and there will be certain things again which subjectively work for you, where you see something and you're like, yes, that is something that I am always going to be attracted to. That is something which which consistently catches my eye. Yeah, I have to say the sort of Richard Armitage thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a very specific example, but, you know, fairly tall, um, dark hair, uh, quite sort of hawkish features. Yeah, it's the hawkish features. That's what I like. Yeah. the Slavic is the wrong word, um, but it's the deep set, you know, the the brow, the severe brow and the... the, the, Yeah. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> you like it. Um, I, I like it. I'm, I'm always attracted... This is going to sound very weird when I say this, but I'm always attracted to eyes as well. Yes. If someone has shallow eyes, then that's... I'm not... I'm not there. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not explaining myself very well, but um, I do... I kind of like brown eyes as well, which I appreciate is not very fashionable, but I really like dark brown eyes. Yeah. That's nice. Um and it's you know again different different set of things for women as well. Mm. I, I quite like a tall curvy girl, or I like a um, fairly athletic girl. <laughs> so so there you go. So there are specific things, but you know if they opened their mouths and turned out to be a shitty person, I'd be kind of like yeah, straight off the, straight off the spectrum. <laughs> it's also more than possible to also fall in love and become ex- incredibly attracted to someone who doesn't have any of those features. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, wow, you hit none of the little things on my list, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, at all. and and you hit none of the things that I'm usually attracted to, but I'm attracted to you. This whole package is just doing it for me. Big tick. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the whole I like the wine, not the bottle thing, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Though you know, the bottle might be the first thing that sort of catches your eye. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good analogy for it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> It's subjective, and this is something actually that is really, really important when it comes to the body positivity movement, because you cannot make someone find somebody else attractive if they're not attracted to that body type. You can't force them to become You can't force them to. And when I have seen certain small groups, small very vocal groups of the sort of health any size body positivity movement group saying things like this it sounds to me like the pray the gay away type stuff that you you see where they're kind of like you you have a kid who comes out to their parents and they'll send them off to some camp somewhere and it's just it doesn't work like that if you, if you are genuinely on the spectrum of attraction and you're a man and you are attracted to other men almost exclusively yeah. Somebody telling you that you're not attracted to men and that you're attracted to women is not going to change your mind. <laughs> yeah. I think it's there's different levels to it because, you know, sexuality is, is a whole other thing as well. Um, you, But, yeah, as, as you say, Jules, you cannot force someone um, to find something else attractive. Um, this is not the same as basically uh, someone saying, I'm not attracted to attracted to you or you're not attractive to me therefore you don't have worth or therefore you are ugly 
um, yeah, which absolutely. I think is is wrong. You can't call someone ugly just because they're not attractive to you. That's not right. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, it's 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 very difficult. But yeah, you you cannot force someone. Um, you can ask people to consider their prejudices. You can ask people to um, get to know someone before they dismiss them. Um, and you can ask people not to be rude. I think that's absolutely fine. But you cannot say, no, you must be attracted to this person. If you're not attracted to them, you're wrong. Um, or that there's or something some... wrong with you. Or that you're evil. Yeah. Or you're, or that you're some flavour of phobic. You know, pick one. Yes. Kind of thing. Um, yeah. No, you're... you're... For, let's just use fatophobic. You're fatophobic if you turn around and say anyone who is fat is um, ugly. Automatically, um, no one would want them. They should all die. That's fatophobic. That's horrifying. Uh, turning around and saying I'm not attracted to this person, but I still value them as a human being is not fatophobic. It's just personal preference. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. I completely agree with that. So, you know, this, this sort of flies in the face of, um, I think she, I'm, I'm going to say what she calls herself. She literally calls herself this, the fat sex therapist. Um, so that's not me calling names. That's, that is literally how she refers to herself. Mm -hmm. This is Sonali Rochetois, I think is her name. Okay. And her, her thing is that you can educate people to be attracted to very plus size individuals. And I'm like, you can definitely ask people to challenge their preconceptions on beauty standards and you can definitely ask people to, as you say, get to know somebody before they dismiss it out of hand. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you cannot tell someone what they're attracted to or who they're attracted no. to. Of course, the, the, and this is the thing, is that you might see some success in it because it might be that someone has has basically pushed down any kind of attraction because they've kind of, they've internalised bad messages um, and therefore they have had a chance to think about that and have a, had a chance to re rethink that or look at something in a different light, which has meant that they're now open to the attractiveness of this particular thing. But that's not actually to do with forcing someone into liking something that they don't. That's a very personal thing, um, which, as we've said, is about basically challenging preconceptions, which is why you might see some certain cases where it's like, well, no, it, it, it has worked. Look, it's worked. Um, and no, it's that's not quite what's happened. Um, and again, you might just not find someone attractive and it might be nothing to do with preconceptions. Um, it might be nothing to do with, with anything, you know, that you were raised with at all. It could just be you and the way that you are and that's not something which can be and i say with inverted commas fixed yeah absolutely um and i, th I think the thing is it's such a futile argument anyway because ultimately everyone will be somebody's flavor yeah. and with luck you know that there's there's how many billions of people in the world mm. so uh, the chances are you will be somebody's flavour and they will be yours. Yes. You know, there, there really is a lid for every pattern kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it is futile to sort of keep hammering the, the you will be attracted to this person, this gender, etc. Because that, that just doesn't work. 
Um, and at that point, is is that sort of attraction, if you manage to create it, actually worth anything? That's a you know open question, genuinely. Yeah. And again, this is also something else um, to be noted, which is that as you get older, your attraction, what you're attracted to, changes. Yeah. That's yeah, also normal. Um, and that will change because of a number of different things, but not least what's going on internally, sort of in terms of your body and, and your body clock and and all of those things as well, is that on a purely biological scale as well, um, they did this experiment, was it, was it with ovulating women, where they showed them yeah. a picture of men different pictures of men and during different points of the ovulation they these women f- favored one man over the other because one looked like he would be in for a good time the other one looked like he was dependable um yes so, <laughs> so there is gonna be th- that side of things as well um and there's also the fact that particularly with women um studies have shown that women tend to correspondingly find men of their own age attractive um not always the case with men with young women it seems to be correspondingly that mostly men find women who are of a certain age attractive but with women and again this is that's a generalization um but you know there have been studies into it um but yeah things do change it changes according to how you age because of a number of different factors and that is also fine um natural development is not the same as forcing someone to be attracted to you yeah and and think, claiming that they're wrong if they're not that's the really important yeah, thing especially that bit um i will add to the studies thing they're really interesting um we've also got to be a bit careful because yes you can have set up a, a blind study situation where you have men saying oh we prefer this woman because you're asking me based solely on looks on a picture kind of yeah. thing and yet let's say you had a a 25-year-old woman and a man who was sort of 42 and they start talking and the man's like, she knows nothing, she's a baby kind of thing. Yeah. I, I'm willing to bet that attraction is just gone. Yeah. Unless he's he literally just wants a good time kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I think that's also the other thing is that you, you can be physically attracted to someone. Again, this is not really with my own experience because I'm because I'm Demi, um, but I know that this is the case. You can be attracted to someone and go, yes, they that looks it looks like being with them would be fun for an evening. And there's that kind of attraction. And then there's the attraction of I like this person, I want to take them to my house and put them in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've brought you to my home. Here's some tea. Sit down. She'll introduce you to my dog. It's a different yes, type of you, attraction. You fit, yes, you, you fit very well into this aspect of my life kind of thing. It's not necessarily the relationship section, but... So, yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Um, what, so, where is the problem? The problem with these two types of beauty standards, I think, is that they rub up against each other in a way that makes it uncomfortable for most of us because we're not supposed to question the norm Mm. and then we're not supposed to really pay too much attention to our own subjective standards yeah and the and then on top of that you have an astonishing number of people who think it's okay to tell random strangers what to do with their bodies god yes that's that's okay so here's here's something that that as we've said it is completely fine to be attracted to what you're attracted to um it's a good idea to address 
um, you know, your preferences. If only just also to get a good idea of why or who you are or things like that. It's always a good idea. And to also address preconceptions that you might have about certain things. That's just a that's just a good personal thing to do in general. But while it's absolutely okay to have personal preferences of I find this attractive, I like a woman who wears makeup, I like a woman who doesn't wear makeup, it is absolutely not okay to then put your ideal of attraction onto other people, that your standard, or the standard, and say that other people should be conforming to it. Um, it is not your business. Um, and there are so many stories of, one of my favourites is just a woman on a train who's who's was putting on makeup and a guy just leant forward and just said, um, you look prettier without that. And she just looked at him and it's like, we've never had a conversation before. Um, I, I don't give a damn what you think. Well, yeah, and he probably thought he was paying a compliment as well. But the trouble is, it comes across as interfering. Honestly, it can, it can come across as interfering, even if it's someone you know really well. I mean, I had a boyfriend who was very... He wanted me to wear makeup and dresses and heels and things a lot more. And I'm like, that's not me. You're dating the wrong person. Um, sort of. The, so the whole, you'd be a lot more attractive if you wore makeup more often thing. I'm like, well, go and find someone who wears makeup more often. That's clearly what you're into. Yeah. And then there was another one who, um, when I was doing a lot more weight training, and I do weight train because it is actually good for you. It's good, to, you know, osteoporosis runs in my family. So having strong muscles means that you tend to build up denser bones and therefore I'm less at risk of it if I do it. So there's a good health reason for me doing it yeah. as well as the fact that, you know what? I actually like a few muscles on a chick. Mm. I like them on myself. Um, and I was sort of doing weight training and it got to the point where he looked at me and said, okay, you, your arms are starting to look really muscular. And I'm like, uh, thanks. And he's like, no, I, I don't want you to keep keep going in this direction because I'm not attracted to that on a woman. And again, it was like, well, I guess you had to find someone who doesn't want to weight train. Yeah. <laughs> this, you know, if it's going to be an issue, go and find someone who's more your type. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again... It... Yeah, it's the idea of telling other people what they should do in order to be attractive to you. Now, things can happen which can mean that two people, you know, can be in a relationship and one person decides to go in one direction and the other person goes, actually, I'm no longer attracted to you. But that's on them. And it can be sad and it's a frustrating situation and there should be a conversation about it. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it's not up to the person to change the way that they look in order to meet the standards of another, of, of their partner, unless that's, that's something that they've agreed upon, unless that's something that they're both comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, we've barely touched on this and we won't go into it in too much detail, but you know, the number of people, I'm not, I've not even touched the internet side of this yet, but a number of people who come up to me, both male and female, I'd like to point out, mostly female, who think it's perfectly okay to come up to me and ask when I'm going to have children, for example. Mm. Again, that's another really personal thing that someone does with their body. I'm not going to. Oh, but you'd make a lovely mother. Yes, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really, it's a, it's an, you're wasting, your, you were literally wasting your breath. <laughs> you know, your words are not falling on receptive ears here. Um, and the other, it, it's actually quite offensive. I find I've I've never flown off the handle with anyone about this because I I get that there's a lot of baked in sexism on this um, in society in general, but it's just it's bollocks because men of my age don't get asked it in the same way. No, 
I think the perception is that men still have time because they can find a younger woman. But yeah. anyway, it or you know, you that men have some other purpose than than bringing children into the world. Kind yeah, of thing. And, and you know, it is also worth pointing out that the um, <laughs> the, the flip side of this, you know, we're, we're talking about sort of things that, which happen to women. It, it, things do happen to men, like the Absolutely. idea of, of it's like, well, you know, you should bulk up a little bit, um, or you know, maybe. It, hopefully he'll be big and strong or you need to sort of get a bit taller or um you need to lose the beard or actually you need to go out with more girls and sleep with more people because women like a man who's experienced yeah i've I've literally heard someone saying that to a bloke and i'm like leave the poor bugger alone yeah (laughs) maybe he doesn't want to there's there's also things like uh, like male pattern baldness or things like that as well um I, I feel really sorry for people who who you know start to go bald with, while they're quite young because it's just seen as this kind of this failing, and I'm like, no, it was it's, it's to do entirely with the amount of chemicals in your body. It, it's genetic. It, you inherit it from one of your mother's X chromosomes, yeah. and it really really sucks. Yeah, um, but it, it's just yeah, I don't I don't understand the kind of the well you have to do this or that or, or the other it's it's just up to it's up to the person it's up to what they feel comfortable with doing um whether that's shaving it whether that's um wearing a wig or a toupee or whether that's just wearing it as as it falls you know <laughs> anyway it's like uh, you know i i'm this, this is no offence to people who like tattoos and have lots and lots of tattoos. Personally, they're not an immediate attractor for me. But I would never, ever think it's okay to go to someone who's proudly showing off their latest tattoo on the internet and say, that looks really ugly, I don't know why you do these sort of things. That would be such a weird thing to do. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's also it's this thing as well, which is that, like, I personally, I... I will probably never ever get a tattoo. Not not least because I'm incredibly indecisive and that I just wouldn't trust myself to pick something that I will then continue to enjoy <laughs> for the rest of my life. Um but I know a lot of people who do have tattoos who that they're very meaningful and of course there's also there's there's cultural tattoos as well, you know, which have yeah. deep cultural significance. Um do I would I want to have tattoos on my own body no i wouldn't think it would look attractive on me um that doesn't mean that i get to turn around and and say to other people you should get rid of it or you should cover those or that's not attractive even if i'm personally not attracted to a tattoo of any particular kind um that doesn't mean that 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 person has to change for me and on the flip side of that um i sh- and this is this is something I have seen is people pressuring others to get tattoos, um, and you see it on a kind of a teasing level. It's like, oh, you should get your ears pierced. You should sort of you should dye your hair. You should you should get a tattoo. <laughs> oh, you'd look really cool with a tattoo there. Um, you know, even if it's you know even if it's positive, I I also kind of feel like mm, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, that would look cool. It's another thing to kind of push put people and say well that's attractive that's what people find attractive that's what people within this community find attractive therefore you should be doing it do what's comfortable for you yeah yeah definitely 
Um, so yeah, it, if, if you stop and think about it, telling someone else what they can do with their body is a really, really weird, bizarre thing to do. So if you ever feel the inclination to do that, obviously just pull yourself up short and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we were going to tie this a little bit more to speculative fiction this time. Yes. Since we sort of grazed over that last time. So um, I've got a few potential examples of things in speculative fiction and less speculative fiction here. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think Madeline's probably going to laugh at me for the first one. <laughs> but we're just going to do a few examples and just say you know how this sort of challenges even a very very small norm yes okay so um one for me or one that i that always struck me at the time for me was uh it's the australian uh sci-fi epic farscape mm -hmm. which i think has about five seasons and it had some very clever ideas in terms of of the show i think it's probably a little bit dated now because they went down the route of using puppets for some of the aliens <laughs> Um, and that doesn't always age very well, but it, it is an interesting look at how things are done. And I loved uh, the character of Erin Sung in that because she was a peacekeeper and she was without doubt the most badass person <laughs> on on screen at any one time. Mm. And you had Michael Crichton, who was a guy from Earth who accidentally kind of went through a wormhole because turns out their wormhole technology worked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Oops, now I'm in the wrong part of the universe. <laughs> and he wasn't exactly like a physical slouch or anything, but, you know, she, she could literally pick him up with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> it was played by Claudia Black. I think Claudia Black is gorgeous because she has got, she's really got something. She's got a lot of intelligence. Mm. Um, it, it shows in her eyes, it shows in her face and how she holds herself. She's got a really interesting voice. Um, she's also quite tall. She's got this lovely mane of, of very dark hair. Or, you know, she did back then. Um, but you look at her and she is not conventionally attractive. Um, she has uh, quite a beaky nose, for example. Mm. <laughs> she's got very strong features for a woman. Um, she, back then, when she was playing Erin Sung, she was playing... She was, she was quite a tall, muscular woman. So you wouldn't look at her and think she was a con uh, traditionally, conventionally delicate female character. Um, she was playing someone who had been basically a shock tactic soldier, and she looked like she, she played that as well. Mm. And I mean, she's got abs. That was, she's seriously got abs, yeah. And, you know, she just looks amazing in that role. She's looked amazing in, in every role that she's played. Uh, in my opinion, my humble opinion, slight crusher. <laughs> um, but I really liked it because it was such a big thing back when Farscape came out. This was in, in the early 90s where you had these power pack females. And yeah, OK, I'm all for the small female who doesn't look like she'd be much good in a fight being absolutely deadly mm -hmm. because you know what? Here I am. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's also really, really nice to see female characters who actually you'd look at them and go, yeah, maybe I won't get into a fight with her kind of thing <laughs> as well. It was really nice to have something that challenged that. Um, so, yeah, another example, I suppose, would be would be Lucy Lawless in uh, Xena, the Warrior Princess. Uh, which was a terrible show. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> but had, had, had some good moments. And it was nice seeing Lucy Lawless, who is who is what we would have called then a classically curvy female mm. character. As in broad shoulders, relatively small waist, broad hips. Yeah. Relatively well built kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I've got I've got an example as well of muscular woman, but this isn't actually in um, live action. This is an animation. Yeah. Uh, so the Legend of Korra. Did you ever watch the Legend of Korra? I've never got to the Legend of Korra. I'm afraid. Uh, well, Korra is a great character. Um, she's she's a big she's a big fighter. You know, when she's introduced, she's just rearing to to get up and go. She likes fighting. She's very physical. She's very sporty, and she has this great build. She's very muscular. Um, with her, I mean, she she's trim, uh, but she she's she's got a wide back. She's got big biceps, and there's even this joke at one point where um she. <laughs> She's next to the other girl, um, um, whose name I've just forgotten. Um, but even though they end up as like, uh, you know, kind of a pair, um, and there's the Mako, the the boy, um, ends up in a relationship with both of them. Now, when you compare the two female characters, um, one of them is taller. She is. She's got a, a slimmer frame. She's got very tradition. She's traditionally beautiful, perfect. You know, plump lips, um, sort of long but delicate nose. Very sort of um, almond eyes. You know, beautiful hair. She's got a kind of a great build. She's very trim and slim. Not you know. She's still actually quite physically active, but she's not. Strong. She's not built up in the same way. And then you get Cora next to her, and Cora looks like a bodybuilder. And yeah. uh, <laughs> what happens is Marco's grandmother. He's dated both of them. Marco's grandmother meets them both, and she's just there, like, "Oh, what attractive ladies!" And she sort of grabs Cora's muscles. She's like, oh, "So muscular!" And she's like, "And you, so dainty!" And then she's like, "Oh, Marco, why can't you date a girl like this?" And, <laughs> and Marco's like, um. <laughs> um, "But yeah, I one thing I really enjoyed about the Legend of Cora was." the way that Cora was designed. Um, she was really beautifully designed and they've actually done a really, really good job in terms of physical representation of characters because you have another character who's quite bulky as well, who's a main character in the form of Bolin as well. Yeah. So, and I particularly like that because that's a very conscious decision on their part to have sort of characters of different body types, which is which is fantastic. So that's a really good example. Cool. Um, I will have to watch it at some point. I'm so far behind on anime. <laughs> well, an it's not really considered anime. It's more of a. It is a cartoon, but it's it's definitely worth watching. Um, okay, another example of an. I, I would say an atypical body type, certainly for women. I'm sorry, I'm concentrating mostly on women, but um, I, you know, if anyone has any examples of, of men or other characters you want to bring in, then please say because I'm I'm all ears. Um, but Gwendolyn Christie, who played Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones and has since been in, I think it was uh, The Last Jedi as well. Mm -hmm. And but again, she's she's six foot one, I think. So very tall yeah, and quite broad shoulders and obviously not a, a, a little willowy thing no. either. So, um, for, you know, pretty well built. And yeah, Brienne of Tarth, 
if you've read the books, is supposed to be incredibly unattractive. And you, you can't say that Gwendolyn Christie's unattractive, no. but they obviously make her look quite plain and she holds herself in a way and she basically scowls the entire time. Yeah, she does um, She does a fantastic job. She's The problem is that she's incredibly beautiful as, as a person, but like, she has done a, a fantastic job and they do do a good makeup to basically try and try and disguise the fact that she's really gorgeous. She's really attractive. Um, but yeah, definitely an atypical body type. And I think she even publicly spoke about how she loved acting and obviously wanted to go into it and was worried that she wouldn't ever be able to because all the parts were for small, dainty women generally. And it was quite difficult to find a way in on something that, you know, would take a tall, very well-built woman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She's fantastic. I, I really do like her um, because... Damn, she she's so tall as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on, uh, we we've actually we have mentioned The Witcher already um, in in the last episode, but there is there is some interesting um, casting in The Witcher as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm gonna let you talk about Yaskia. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best person to talk about Yaskia. Um, so Joey Beatty, who plays Yaskia, um, is well, he's he's sort of he's cheeky, adorable, he isn't is, he? He's cheeky, adorable. Um, <laughs> it, he's got a very soft face, doesn't he? Yeah, he is, and he's not. He's he's quite small. Mm. I mean, I think sort of. Out- well, probably just below average height for a man. No, actually, I'm not sure he is. Really, was that was that clever filming? I think it's. Thing? I think it's clever. I think it's clever filming because I'm actually pretty sure he's almost the same height as um. The, he's just a little bit shorter than Henry Cavill. Oh, right. Well, I mean, in fairness, anyone stood next to Henry Cavill when he's playing Geralt of Rivia would look like a pebble next to a mountain. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's shorter than Henry, he is shorter than Henry Cavill, but only by maybe like a, like maybe an inch or something like that. But he's, he's got a very different build, obviously. He kind of looks like a schoolboy. <laughs> yeah, he has got, he's got a bit of a baby face and he's got quite deep set eyes and yeah, he looks sort of cheeky and, Okay, Madeline and I, you know, have got this ongoing theory, along with much of the internet, that you know, Yeski is actually bi. Yeah. Because there is that that feeling about, and you sort of get that <laughs> from the way that Joey Beatty kind of plays the character. I think, yeah, as well. as well. It's quite it's it's interesting because Joey Beatty's uh, an interesting casting choice because again, he he's an attractive person. You that cannot be denied. Um, yeah. He's got this sort of slightly round, round face, great cheekbones, but he's got a slightly sort of a rounded face. He doesn't have the same sort of chiselled jaw as as <laughs> um, Henry Cavill. Um, but if, if you actually look at him, he's he's very trim. He's got sort of quite narrow shoulders and stuff like that. He he's he's not um, you know he's actually quite small. 
Um, but he's he's got kind of a deceptive look. Um, a bit more of a dancer's build, almost. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also depending on kind of different things, you know, at certain times, you know, he, he seems to have a slightly more of a chiselled kind of look with his jaw. But that'll again be down to sort of makeup and certain things like that. Um, it's also quite funny because I've seen him in some other things where he's he's got a beard and long hair as well and it completely transforms his face. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, he's he's an interesting casting choice for Dandelion or for Yaskia in a lot of ways, um, because he doesn't look typically like you would expect Dandelion or Yaskia to look like. And that has also, also reflected the way that he's played, because rather than being this massive player... He's and and Joey Beatty has described Yaskia as as being more of of like a, a puppy that just happens to fall in love with whoever <laughs> whoever's closest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, there's also Jodie May in The Witcher as well, who plays Queen Calanthe, and I think what I like there is that you legitimately have an older attractive woman playing an older attractive woman and she's attractive more because she's confident in her own power and ability yeah it's it's amazing though because um <laughs> in the witcher they <laughs> what they've tried to do with a lot of characters is that they've got a lot of a very attractive actors and stuff like that and then they're like and now make them look scary <laughs> cover them in muck <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is very like that um and you can't deny that like ninety percent of all the people in The Witcher are like completely beautiful. Yeah, because they are. They are, but um, but there's or... a lot of actually The Witcher is very good because there's a lot of non-standard beauty. Um, yeah, definitely within The Witcher, which is fantastic. Um, you also get oh, I cannot believe I cannot remember her name, but the uh, the head the head witch who who sort of teaches. Um, yes. Yes, I can't remember her yeah. name now. It's she gone. was in, she was in Ripper Street as well. She's a fantastic actress, very beautiful, but not a standard kind of beauty. She's she's kind of almost got a bit of a mousy look to her as well, and that's actually something that I really like about The Witcher is that you have a lot of people with very different facial types, body types, all mixed in together, um, and they're all beautiful, but they're all covered in muck and they're all having a terrible time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I will briefly mention RJ Mitty. Is it Mitty or Mitt? I'm not sure. I'm very sorry if I've mispronounced that. But he played uh, Walter White Jr. in Breaking Bad. Yes. And he is, he's, again, very, very cute. Clearly a good-looking kid. Um, a young man now, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Sorry if it's me showing my age. But he actually has cerebral palsy and he was playing an, an, a character with cerebral palsy. Yes. Yeah, no, I thought that I thought that was actually very good casting. Not least because he had he, he created something which was very real, because obviously yeah. it was real. Um and also fantastic because he you know, he was a really, really excellent actor. I say he yeah. was, like he isn't still. He is a very, <laughs> very excellent actor. Um and so actually, this is something also that's come to my attention recently. Um, do you know about that new Shire film, uh, Music? No, can't say I do. Okay, so the Shire has fallen under a lot of criticism because essentially she she created a story 
uh, which was all about a an autistic girl who's non-verbal um, and who basically um, kind of sees, you know, everything. It's, it's a musical, so it's everything sort of happening in her head and around her. And um, it's uh, she's fallen under a lot of uh, criticism because, first of all, she perpetuates some very incorrect ideas, but also she she didn't hire um, an autistic actor or really have any kind of proper members of autistic people within the team. Um, And, you know, when people actually looked at the way that, for instance, this actress who, again, I'm not pointing at the actress who's just a a, a young person, uh, but the way that the actress kind of also showed autism tics and stuff like that, was a lot of people felt that it wasn't done accurately or sensitively, um, and that there was one person who who spoke actually about the fact that it, it all seemed to be in order to create a certain kind of dancing, which Shire particularly uses a lot of this particular sort of type of dancing, this um, you know slightly disjointed movements in her music videos, and that and she basically seemed to be creating this dancing which was all around what was supposed to be autistic tics. Um, and it it's interesting because in some ways it it created this idea that again there was there was a correct way of appearing if you are autistic there was a way which could be turned into art there was a way which was almost a bit organized etc um yeah and and she didn't actually she she said oh i originally tried to have an autistic uh, actor uh but they were too too difficult to deal with essentially because they couldn't actually do a lot of the sort of the sort of the scenes and things like that because actually um a lot of it wasn't wasn't autistic friendly, like the colouring, the way that things work, the way that it, things had been sort of put forward. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was it was about basically portraying autism and the physical attributes of autism, um, but without actually portraying autism at all. It was a fabrication of what it should be, which is why she's fallen under a lot of um, criticism because of it. Yeah. I mean, that's uncomfortable because it's such a huge spectrum with, you know, different um, attributes affecting different people or presenting in different ways, isn't it? And I wouldn't pretend to be an expert on it at all. No. Um, yeah, um, I'm. I'm just reporting what I've. I've seen. I've not seen the movie. Um, I have watched a few sort of um, autistic um, people who, who who are professionals. Um, put forward their ideas so that's where I'm getting this from but yeah it's it's something which is worth listening to if people of a a group of people turn around and say that's you're not representing us physically correctly um, you should pay attention to that yeah definitely Um, especially if you've decided to make it your unique selling point yes absolutely if it's like this is a story about autism you should probably actually portray autism then and not yeah. something which sort of looks like a caricature of autism yeah definitely um just a brief mention of star trek mm-hmm. um in general star trek has been trying very hard to be inclusive i think since 
since year dot since the very beginning mm -hmm. since the original series and generally it's kind of improved a little with each series even if you have got able-bodied actors in which you know is often the case yeah um but we are you know we're get, again we're going back to the the 90s and late 80s yeah thinking about it the 60s even <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was very good at i think representing different types of people um even when it was using the language of these people aren't necessarily human because we've got different types of species and what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, there was always... I, th I think what I'm getting at is that Star Trek was always very good at giving you someone you could identify with kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which, again, you know, there are issues now of people saying, okay, but why, why have you always got to use the different uh, species metaphor? Um but you know, going back, it had its place. It ha it had its purpose, and we should acknowledge that. Um, it certainly did in a time when it was very difficult to get anything that was slightly different at all made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it presented new ideas, um, which was very good. And I think Star Trek: Next Generation actually, as well, did a lot of thing about turning around saying, actually, disability is isn't just something which is to be fixed. It is something which provides different perspective, opportunity, and creates different things, which they did a lot of with Geordie, who obviously yeah. went through a lot. And he didn't always enjoy his disability. You know, I'm not saying he turned around and was like, well, I, but he said, I am who I am today because of it. Um, and I'm comfortable with it, even though it did bring him pain. Um, he ultimately didn't feel, you know, he felt like he, he, well, there's the whole storyline where he goes to a colony and they say, oh, well, you would have never been born blind because if you were blind, you wouldn't have been born or something like that. And he was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Great. That was cheerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, very brief. <laughs> Whistle stop through the whole idea of... Um, the, the internet Karen group, if you like. The ignorant dude bros. <laughs> ignorant dude bros. Yeah. Um, we've kind of touched on this already, but it is the the person who creeps into your mentions and says that you should not present the way you present kind of thing. And you know, I have to say that I think there are small groups of very vocal people in every camp who do act the part of the bully, put it that way. Yeah. So it's it's not always someone being bullied for their weight. Sometimes it is a large person having a go at someone who's decided that they would like to lose weight when they used to be part of the same group, for example. Yeah, that always really, really gets me. I mean, Adele, for instance. Yeah, and Rebel Wilson yeah, as well. Yeah, um, you know, you have people... Again, and this is the, 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 the thing that also points out, which is that, it's like, no, they were always beautiful. <laughs> they were always beautiful. They have typically beautiful faces. Yeah, um, it's like, this, that, that, that actually hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is, is, is their, their clothing size, basically. <laughs> yeah, ultimately. Um, so Adele, yeah, lost a lot of weight, and some people felt betrayed by that. And... On the one side, I can understand this feeling of, oh, well, there was someone who was a really good, you know, role model 
for me, for my children, etc., who was a really good role model, um, who now seems to be sending the message that what they were before was wrong. That they're new and improved, yeah. that they're better now than they were before. Um, and again, I think that can also be in the way that actually the media deals with weight loss. And the media is just there like, um, uh, oh, oh, you know, finally up and healthy and stuff like that, etc. Or um, oh, looking better revenge. than ever before or, you know, things like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally hate the term revenge body for example, which I think did get used for Adele when it was a completely incidental thing that she had decided to, um, you know, lose weight and get fitter, mm-hmm. get physically fitter. And, you know, that's her choice. It's not, I don't think it takes away anything from her success before because she became an incredibly successful musician and singer when um, she was much larger. So Yeah, and it, the it's, fact that it has no... It had no bearing on her getting divorced or anything. Yeah. So, you know... It, you're right, it is in the reporting. I think some of it is in the, the ears of the listener and the eye of the beholder as well, yeah. in the sense of, well, that was someone who I chose to let represent me, even though she had no idea about it. Yeah. And now they've betrayed me by going and joining the other side. And I would say, yeah, I can kind of understand how someone might feel about that. Mm. But on the other hand, it in no way excuses the level of hatred I've seen directed at people who, who've decided that you know what it's my body i'm going to change it yeah absolutely um someone else choosing to do something with their body is not a betrayal to you um it's down to them there's any number of reasons why they might do it now it might be that those personal reasons are not good reasons but you know it's not up to you to decide what is a good reason or what is a bad reason they might be doing it for unhealthy reasons they might be doing it because they you know that they have a bad idea in their mind and then maybe later on they turn around and be like, actually, um, no, I, I did this because I had internalised a lot of hatred for myself um, but and therefore made my life a misery or developed anorexia or something like that. But that's not up to you. That's a very personal thing. And it's, it's not about you. And it's the difficulty with projecting all of your worth on somebody else on well look at them therefore that it's okay for me you've got to find worth in yourself you've got to find worth in the ideal of everybody has worth no matter what they look like because if you rely on someone else to show you that it's okay for you to be a certain body size or to look a certain way then you know that's never going to be healthy because you cannot control them and also, if they then change and you feel betrayed, aren't you also basically saying they now have less worth because of the changes that they've made? It's not healthy, but it's something that we all do, and it's just something we need to be conscious of. Yeah, yeah and I think there can be an issue in the sense of someone decides to lose weight and then they get applauded by the media, um, and in some cases they perhaps go a little bit too far and then everyone's happy to fall on them for that as well. So it really does have to be a personal thing, I think. Yeah. You can't do it you can't do it for anybody else. I'm thinking of poor Karen Carpenter who um they kind of har- ha- they kind of hounded her media wise about her weight mm. when she was a perfectly normal, healthy size and she ended up uh taking thyroid medication and um, laxatives and things and she lost so much weight that she eventually died 
Yeah. She had a heart attack. Um, obviously, there's a lot more going on than just that, but that was kind of like the tipping point. Yeah. So, um, and again, it, it's really, really worth remembering that the Hollywood standard is a is a tiny minority of people used for a very particular kind of art form. Yeah, absolutely. It's not supposed to represent the average. No. <laughs> or the norm. Yeah. Um, it's also possible that, you know, someone who can make a big campaign about the fact that, oh no, I am plus-sized, and I'm proud of who I am, and I'm proud of the way I look, it's not a betrayal to you if they then decide to lose weight. Because first of all, you don't know why they've decided to lose weight. Perhaps they're losing weight because they're worried about developing diabetes, or that they have developed diabetes. Perhaps they've lost weight because they personally don't feel happy in their own skin, or they feel like they can't do the things that they want to do. Um, again, perhaps it might be for a reason that you don't deem to be correct. Um, or perhaps it might be that they were only putting up a front when they said, I'm proud of my plus-size body, when secretly they hated it. But again, this is the difficulty with applying your worth to somebody else. Don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. And the same goes for any sort of type of physical attribute, really. Yeah. So I think the the other thing is then women who are muscular, um, and this also kind of goes on the other side, which is men who who decide to be quite, and I say in inverted commas, effeminate. Um, but particularly women who are muscular get a lot of shit from both men and women for being unfeminine. And again, this is something that both Jules and I have had to deal with. Yeah, from both men and women. Yes. Kind of like, you you know, you'd look so much better if you stopped working your arms like that. Or um, conversely, well, that's a very boy thing to do. Aren't you worried about someone's going to think you're butch? I'm like, yeah. um, no, not with my height and build. <laughs> I'm actually not. So, like, I kind of almost miss the, the, the time of shoulder pads because then my large shoulders would not look so weird. Right now, <laughs> I have extreme difficulties. This is going to sound like a boast. It's not. It's a genuine problem that I had, particularly um, sort of in school, which was that I couldn't wear any shirts because the shirt would fit me fine, but the sleeves, I couldn't oh my get God. my arms through the sleeves. Can the we, shoulders can were we... too small and the biceps were too small. And I was like, if I try and move my arms, I'm going to rip this shirt and there's nothing I can do about it. Man, can we please talk about the whole sort of the, the female t-shirt, also called the baby doll t-shirt, which is apparently for somebody with the arms of an eight-year-old. Yeah, what? And, and I'm like... <laughs> what this is like Alan saying? Why do you buy men's t-shirts? Like for the simple reason that I can actually flex my arms. In them. Yes, <laughs> yes. I I mostly buy ma male t-shirts as well because of the way that they the sort of the decide that the proportions are going to be. Which is it's just they're like it'll fall where it falls. <laughs> you get wider shoulders as well, which is nice. You get the biceps. Um, why do you get these stupid little capped sleeves as well? It's kind of like why do why are women not entitled to an entire sleeve on a t-shirt? <laughs> What's going on? What's with that? Only small sleeve, no arm coverage. <laughs> and I get it, but it's yeah. And a lot of the the other problem is that you get a lot of female clothes in particular which are built for a certain body type. And this is the idea that people seem to think that being plus size means that you just get larger 
just in like in full general if that makes sense they literally just go well we'll just add a couple of inches to everything and like no there are different body types there are different body you know widths and stuff like that it's you can't just go okay then just make it bigger in order to then fit the same way and this is something else that's also really worth noting in hollywood and a lot of famous people you see them wearing these clothes and these clothes look perfect on them and you think right okay that's the figure no the clothes look perfect on them because the clothes they're clothes they've bought which have then been tailored to fit their size. So they look great. They look great yeah, regardless absolutely. of whether they're plus sized or not. They look great because the clothes literally have been tailored to fit them. If you go into a supermarket, uh, you go to a shop and you're plus sized and you try and buy a certain type of, you know, shirt or something like that, it's not going to fit you particularly well particularly as you you kind of get into the plus sized areas because it's not tailored for you and everybody has different body types um and so it's just very very difficult so yeah the, the women in particular being pushed about sort of being too too muscular oh don't do that or yeah. women should only be doing this type of exercise or things like that because otherwise you'll develop muscles in this particular area <laughs> Yeah, I mean, two two things. One of my my ongoing struggles, but certainly as a teenager and a um, relatively young adult, um, was finding trousers that would fit me around the waist, mm. but not be massively too big, mm. and would still manage to fit over my my heavily muscled thighs. <laughs> For some reason, my thighs are kind of like, oh right, you want to lay on muscle? We'll put it there then. It's like. How about we go for some on the upper body? No, no, we're not doing that. Okay, we're mostly going to focus it there. Then. <laughs> one of one of the things that I really enjoyed a little while ago is I I had a I had a friend over, um, and uh, this is this is a this is a while ago, and uh, my neighbor's daughters were out around the front, and I know them very well and and stuff like that, and uh, we we've been playing we've been playing with them, we've been playing um catch with with them because they were having a little party and we you know we were playing catch and so we joined in they wanted to join in little kids see the the big kids playing and they're like oh we want to play as well so we, we were joining in and as we were going away i grabbed my two neighbor's daughters the, these are you know these are young these are pre-teen kids um and i just grab one in each arm and just heft them up and i was going to pretend to throw them into the um there's a, there was a there's a nearby sort of water feature and I was just gonna pretend to throw them in <laughs> and they're of course screaming and kicking and I look back at my friend and she's just staring at me she's like how can you pick up both of them at the same time and I'm like they're not heavy <laughs> she was like yeah but <laughs> you're and and it was again this idea that there's nothing wrong with the fact that someone can't pick them up. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing inherently unfeminine about the fact that I can pick them up either. But I do remember yeah. that moment and being like, "Oh yeah, I guess this is this is considered weird by for, for for female standards. It's considered weird for someone to be strong enough to pick up two squirming children and run off with them." Which sounds wrong when I say it like that, but <laughs> when I was seventeen, my dad wanted to move this full sized solid wood Welsh dresser out of the kitchen and I said well, well I can help you dad and he's like mm, okay yeah probably and he was like, I was crouched right down because the dresser was so big I couldn't see my dad so he said right in a minute I'm going to tell you to lift now what I actually heard in my head was lift so I lifted and my dad was like no 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 not, not yet not yet put it down 
And I later found out with my mum, the reason he had a turn was I'd lifted the entire dresser by myself. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, whenever there was anything, my, my dad would just be like, hey, can you help with that? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Picking up, we moved a lot when I was a kid, so there was a lot of moving furniture. And my dad was always like, oh, look at you, you're so strong. And I guess the reason I didn't actually realise that being strong was meant to be, or, or being very muscular was meant to be a bad thing until I was suddenly... Yeah. At a certain age in school where suddenly I was being surrounded by people who were saying that it wasn't, that it was ugly, that I wasn't delicate, that I was, was large yeah, because of it. unfeminine, yeah. etc. Yeah. And it was because I grew up in a household where my dad was like, yeah, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yes. It's like my, my dad had no sons to call on, so it's kind of like, oh, Jules will do that. <laughs> I have no sons, so I shall use Jules instead. <laughs> yep. Basically. And I don't know. It, I think the thing that gets me is the, the idea that you were supposed to be, you know, soft and, and delicate and that some bloke will come and... Lit, lit, this happens so many times. Some bloke will say, oh, well, I like my women soft and supple and feminine. I'm like, then go elsewhere. <laughs> and also, I don't know you. You're a random person on the internet. <laughs> I didn't ask your opinion. I, I, I do not exist to please you. <laughs> Buzz off! You know? Yes. And again, this we're, we're you know we're talking mostly about women here, um, but this this applies to all genders, you know. Yeah. The, the, there's no standard. If you're, for instance, I know a lot of people who are non-binary and who feel like, oh well, I guess that means I have to cut my hair, or I guess that means that I've got to look a certain way, or that I have to wear a binder, or things like that. And like, no, do what you want to do. Your yeah, value doesn't exist to, to conform, you know, you, you don't exist to conform to other people's ideals. Yeah, to hell with what anyone else thinks. Yes. And if someone tells you to change, tell them to change. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a joke. It's just they're like, you should smile more. <laughs> you, sh you should smile more. Okay, but like, I want you to shave like a stripe down your hair. What? I'm not going to do that. No? <laughs> then don't tell me to change something about myself. Off you go, Sonny Jim. Yeah, I get less of the smile or, you know, it, it smile, it might never happen. But that used to be such a feature. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it used to happen several times a week. And I think people have finally started pointing out to blokes that it is actually not appropriate to tell someone to smile just because you think that they're their gender means that they should be more physically pleasing to you. Yeah. But, oh, God. The number of... I, if I had punched everybody who had ever told me that, <laughs> I would have hit a lot more people than I ever have. I've, I've only... That actually sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've only ever had one experience where a, a white van driver honked their horn and it was appropriate. Um, <laughs> this is the joke about white van drivers. just seems to be uh, the amount of times just you hear the most horrible or see the most horrible things um from people who aren't even trying anything they're just being dicks um and it was just one day i was uh, it was summer it had rain so there were some puddles but it was very hot and i had decided today today i shall be a peasant girl from provence with my long flowing skirt and my blouse and i shall skip into town and so I, there i was i was literally skipping and there was a large puddle and I leapt gracefully over it. <laughs> I literally did it like a dance. I was like, whoop! 
And the white fat guy was parked over honked his horn and applauded. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I will accept this. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Anyway, um, we had probably better wrap it up there. Yes. Uh, we were, we were going to talk a bit about how we try to do it in our own work, but you know what? We've talked a lot, so you can always check out our work and see if you think we've done a good job and where we can improve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I said, it's something which definitely has concerned both of us, but you know, there's always more information out there, there's always more things to learn, so we are always open to hearing more about it, your experiences, um, new sort of perspectives and things like that, please do let us know. Remember, you can get in touch with us through Twitter, Facebook, or Tumblr, both through our personal pages or through our Dissecting Dragons pages, so do get in touch, we love hearing from you. Yeah. And on that note, it's time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation, and this week Madeline has one for us. Yes! So, um, this is a slightly bizarre one, <laughs> she says. I'd expect nothing less from you. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to be recommending um, an animal. Uh, an animal? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a lot more bizarre than I was expecting. <laughs> well done. more bizarre than Not intentional. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I meant to say I'm going to be recommending an anime called um, Horimiya, um, or sometimes it's called Horisan to uh, Miyamura-kun. Now this is, uh, it's a very interesting anime. It was originally, the original manga um, was written and illustrated by a person named Hiroki Adachi, um, and it was self-published. Um, on their website. Um, it, uh, this was around sort of 2007. Um, and it, it sort of got picked up and it's been made into a very beautiful anime, which is just it's, it's several short sort of um, episodes. And it's actually, weirdly enough, it, it starts off the premises that you have these two characters. Um, one is this very popular girl at school who's very, you know, she's very attractive, she's very popular. Um, and the other is this guy who's mostly looked, people look over him, they mostly ignore him. Um, he always looks very gloomy. He's got sort of long black hair that gets in front of his face and he wears glasses. Um, and what happens is that these two bump into each other outside of school. And outside of school, this guy, um, Miyamura, um, has he has piercings he has tattoos which is very significant in japan remember um and he wears his hair back in sort of like a bun and he looks completely different he has just this completely different attitude and so does she because the moment she gets home from school she's like a housewife she yeah. dresses messily um she's really concerned with sort of getting the house cleaning done the cooking done and stuff like that um but in a very not in a very sort of oh well i want to make everything nice but in a um in a, in a quite an aggressive way and the two of them sort of form this relationship because they're two very different people outside of school that they are in that they are in school um, and as as the sort of the story progresses, you get to see sort of all these different characters and their home life versus their school life and their relationships. Um, 
And something I really enjoyed about this anime was that it sort of projected some ideas which you usually don't get to see in mainstream things because it was self-published. So the concept of self-harm, for, for example, is kind of addressed in it, but it's addressed in a, in a unique way, which actually feels very human. So um, I've really, really enjoyed watching it. It is a short series um, and it, it is worth watching. The characters are weird, but not weird as in, oh, it's an anime, they're weird, but weird as in these are people and all people are a little bit strange kind of thing. Oh, great. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. So on that note, guys, we're going to say thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast. 